Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Amen and amen. Good to see everybody. Is everybody done licking your wounds from that Arkansas game? <laughs> Sad about it. What's worse is if you stayed up to watch the Colorado game at the end. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, they've got a different time zone than we have, apparently. <laughs> but, uh, wow, what a time. Hey, God's still good even though the hogs sometimes aren't. Amen? <laughs> God is so good. All right. I, this was kind of a message for me. I'm, I'm going to try to do a little te- more teaching than I typically do, but um, y'all know me. I might say that, and then I might start preaching like, like a crazy man. But, um, but I really feel like the Lord is doing something. He's stretching us, and He's going to stretch us uh, in such a way that's going to um, bring life, right? Like when we think of stretching, we think of like sometimes in a bad way, right? It's like, oh, Lord, I don't know that I, I can take any more uh, you stretching me or you, you pulling me into this different thing. But, but you got to think of it like this, like um, before, if you've ever played uh, athletics or anything, before an event so that you don't pull a muscle, you got to what? Right? You got to stretch. You got you to stretch your eyes. You got to prepare yourself for the, for the exertion and the exhaustion of a journey that's going to be uh, on the horizon. So there's something about stretching that God does that it makes us feel uncomfortable. But the uncomfortable feeling that we have is to prepare us for something greater that God wants to do. So you have to really submit yourself to the Lord and let him stretch you. Sometimes he's going to want to show you things. Have you ever had the Lord show you that you were wrong in something? Man, it's like I ask somebody, do you believe the same thing you believed 10 years ago? And they're like, I don't think so. Why? What happened? Well, life happened and you started reading the Bible (laughs) and then what you were told, you found out wasn't true or wasn't all the way truth or was a half truth. And then God started stretching you into this new form or you experienced some turmoil or a tragedy. Well, guess what happened? You can't let a tragedy change your theology. I'm just telling you. You have to fit yourself into the thing that God's saying, and you have to keep contending for that reality until it comes to pass. And it's like faith is like a muscle like that. It's like you'll start believing for something, and the exact opposite will happen. How many of you ever had that happen? You know what that is? That's an opportunity for me to pick that promise up and begin to exercise that promise even more so that my faith is stronger in the face of adversity and not weaker. Because God is wanting to grow a strong people. Because if we're not a strong people, we're not going to be a strong church. And so you are the church. And so what you're experiencing now God is using whatever situation you're going through to form you, to stretch you, to fit you into his purposes for something that's going to be life-giving and God-honoring and glory-saturated, and his presence is going to be at the heart and the center of it all. So this is a stretching that God's doing. It's a stretching he's doing. He's stretching us. Making us uncomfortable, putting us in positions to make us feel not at ease. 
He's upsetting the things that we were leaning on and trusting in that worked last season but aren't going to work in the season that we're coming into. Yeah, yeah. He'll begin to do different things that will begin to reveal something in our heart. And uh, thank you, Lord. Let's just pray right now. Lord, we just thank you, God. We honor you and we bless you. We thank you for Mike. We pray that you'd just bless him, God, that he would just, he is one of ours. He's family. And we just love him and we honor him and we bless him in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you, God, for your good things that you're doing. And we just honor you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, guys, we're all family here. Sometimes things happen we don't understand. Hey. We're going to be patient with one another. We're going to figure it out, okay? That's just where we're at. Okay. Now back to me rambling on. All right. So what I, I, I was, layers of this thing just kind of developed for me over time. And so that's why my sermons are so out there is it starts with an idea and then another idea, then another idea, then another idea. And then it's just layers of these ideas begin to then come together. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a, a whole big picture. That's a, that's a big theme that's all throughout the scripture. So one of these themes that, that I'm finding is, is that when the Lord created the earth, it was like, what was he creating and what did scripture kind of paint? What was this picture that, that scripture was telling us? Because right, they didn't have NASA, they didn't have Hubble, they didn't have these things that, that inform us exactly what the earth looks like. And so they had this, what was called a anthropomorphic view, right? Like they were, like when we say the sun is rising, right? Is the sun actually rising? No, the sun's fixed. <laughs> the earth is spinning, <laughs> and we're on a tilted axis, and as the earth is spinning and making its rotations, then it looks like the sun is rising. So when we see sunrise, you don't have anybody tell you when you're like, man, did you see the sunrise this morning? They don't go, well, actually, the earth was spinning, and it wasn't rising. We're going around the sun, and, right? It's like they didn't have that thing, is that they were using language from a human-centered view to explain the the magnificence and the glory of God. So when we look at Genesis and they talk about creation, the Hebrew cosmology begins to paint this picture of God in creation actually creating a sanctuary, a temple, or a tent that would house the glory of God. So when you read about Genesis and it, and it talks about a firmament that was, that was expansed over the heaven, it was like this semi-transparent uh, transparent ceiling. And then it talks about these pillars that were underneath holding the ground up. And then there was like a floor. And then it was viewed as that the mountains were like pillars that held that ceiling up. That when you start to understand the Hebrew cosmology, this is actually God is building a house. <laughs> he's building a temple he's building a place and then when he puts men on that place and women on that place he's actually building a house for God and man to live together forever so when we begin to overlay that view, we begin to see what God is doing throughout history and what God's story is for humanity is God's trying to build a house where we can live with him yeah, like that's why God built the world. He built the world, this empty space, so that he could put you in it and then he could fill it with himself. 
That's why the scripture says that God is all in all. That everything was, that was created was created for him, by him, to him, and through him was every single thing made. So why did God create anything? He created it to fill it with his glory. Like this is the plan of scripture. Is that God would build a place that had a floor, a ceiling, pillars, and a house. That this would be a place that God would live. And so I want you to look at this with me. Job 38 verses 4 through 8. This is what Job gets to hear from the Lord when God starts questioning him. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? What do you lay a foundation to start building? House, right? Tell me if you possess understanding. Watch this. Who said it's measurements? Do you got to measure when you build? If you know who stretched a measuring line across it, watch this, and on what were its bases set? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang in chorus, do you see how all of creation is, is being pictured as a building and a place for his glory? All the sons of God shouted for joy. Now watch this. Who shut up the sea with doors when it burst forth coming out of the womb so here we see a picture here of humanity and creation being this place this temple in which God wanted to dwell that the presence of God wanted to be in now watch this in Psalms 91 this is a, a beautiful psalm and many believe it was written by Moses. And this is what it says, Psalm 91, verse 1. As for you, the one who lives in the shelter of the Most High and resides in the protective shadow of the Sovereign One. Now watch this, verse 2. I say this about the Lord, my shelter and my stronghold my God in whom I trust. So what did Moses build? He was commanded to build a tabernacle. So that the tabernacle was a microcosm or a small thing representing the big thing that God was wanting to do with all of the earth. So when we see the tabernacle, we're actually seeing God's intents and purposes in creation in Genesis 1. And the Bible has clues that point to this reality all throughout Scripture. Exodus 31 verse 1, check this out. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now watch this, this man who was given special skill to build the tabernacle of God. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in skill, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. So there's all kinds of loaded nuggets in there. You know what Bezalel's name means? In the shadow of Almighty. Or in the shadow of El, Elohim of God. So here is a man given task to build the temple, and his name is in the shadow of God. 
In Genesis 1, when all the world is formless and without void, what is the Spirit of God doing? Hovering over creation. So all of creation is covered or hovered by the Spirit of God. So that God is giving us a picture from Genesis 1, and now we're getting the microcosm of the macrocosm of God's intents and purposes of the world, which is this, that he would hover over the world and begin to create it and begin to be a shelter for it and begin to be the creative force that is sowing life back into the things that are in disorder. That this is what God is wanting to do in the earth. Why did God create the earth? So that we could eke out some kind of existence and then die and then be in heaven in the sweet by and by. No, God created the earth to fill it with his glory. He created the earth to hover over it and look for a people that would partner with him to bring down the intents and purposes of God and begin to bring the heart of God down to the earth. And when we begin to understand that we are in the shadow of the almighty that we are actually in a place to where God is not far but he's actually right there looking for someone to get a hold of the promises of God somebody who's not looking for at the circumstances but somebody who will rise up in faith and say I don't care what it looks like the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the purposes of God is that his presence and his glory would fill the earth I told you I wasn't going to preach. I was just going to teach. But So check this out. Bezalel was filled with the Spirit. Same word used in Genesis 1 and 2. Ruach Elohim. The Spirit of God. He was filled with wisdom. The same wisdom language used in Proverbs 3, 19 and 20 that would explain that God was this wise builder. And then the third thing that we see is that in all kinds of craftsmanship, he was changed. He was, uh, had expert expertise in. In Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it says this, that the heavens and the earth were completed with everything that was in them. By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing and he ceased on the seventh day all the work. Same phrase in the Hebrew of all craftsmanship that he had been doing. Verse three, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. So what God is doing in Genesis, he replicates in Moses' day through a tabernacle. So what was the tabernacle there for? Is this journey okay that we're going on? I know, I'm a Bible nerd, so you guys are just gonna have to, you're just going to have to live with it. What was the temple for? It was to offer sacrifice that by blood men could be brought near, and it was a place that the glory of the Lord could feel and his presence could dwell. So the Lord stretched out a tent to create a place where the blood could be shed 
And his presence could dwell in fullness and in richness and begin to start the process of redeeming a people that they would be the trumpeteers of the glory of God, that they would be the clarion callers of the purposes of God in the earth, namely Israel in that day. But I'm going to tell you something. What God's doing in Israel and did do in Israel is just a small work of the big thing he's actually doing worldwide through you and through me. That he stretched out a tent to offer sacrifice and to fill it with his glory. But then something happened. And you begin to read the scholars in this intertestamental period, which is the period after Malachi, before Matthew, before Mark. And in this period, even though they had the temple and rituals going on, there was no glory and no presence. How many of you know you can have rituals <laughs> and not have the presence? So they were offering these rituals faithfully, but the glory of the Lord had not filled the house in hundreds of years. And this happened for a long time. But the prophets... And the people in this intertestamental period, they didn't lose hope. They didn't believe everything was boiled down to just, you know, this is just how it is now. They started pushing into this idea that the uh, Messiah, the Hamashiach, <laughs> the smeared one, <laughs> that a greater David... <laughs> that a new anointed one was going to come in. And not only was he going to be able to, uh, to bring about these rituals and give them their significance, but he was going to have with him the glory of God and the favor of God. And that when he brought the glory and the favor of God, that the, once again, the glory was going to fill the house of God and the felt presence of God was going to begin to happen again. So they were waiting for the Messiah. And they started to get ideas about what it was going to look like when he came. And so that was the intents and purposes, was that there would be this place on earth where the heaven is God's throne, but the earth is his footstool, that there would be a throne that God would sit on, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament lens and mindset, and that when God's presence filled in there, that the glory from there was going to go out and fill the whole earth. So they were laboring and waiting, and they began to get ideas about what this Messiah was going to look like. But then John gets this picture in his gospel. In the gospel of John, he begins to get this picture and John just hits it out of the park, okay? Now, if it's my softball game, it hits it out of the infield, okay? <laughs> Try to get that Texas League single action. But John tees it off and hits it out of the park. And I want you to look what John says in John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Did you get it? The arc of scripture now has completely flipped 
out. And instead of a building being stretched out, God becomes a man and that's the skin in which it's been stretched out. That is the leather that is stretched out and where he wants to dwell in the age to come. And so Jesus is inaugurating a new age of a new stretching that would happen. God wants to stretch these walls. I believe it with all my heart. But before he stretches these walls, he better stretch our heart and our capacity to love people and our capacity to preach the gospel and our knowledge of him and the ways of God. He's got to stretch us before he ever stretches anything else. That the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we looked upon his glory. They hadn't seen the glory. But when Jesus showed up, there was the glory. That's why when Jesus taught, they said things like this. This guy teaches with authority. They hadn't seen that. That the preachers of Jesus' day just disseminated information. It was like a public service announcement. Like, hey, everyone, don't do this. All right, we'll see you. Or, hey, this is what's... But Jesus spoke. And when Jesus taught... And the anointing of God and the glory of God was present. Suddenly, devils would start manifesting and have to go. Suddenly, people that were sick started to get healed. And they're like, whoa, this guy's not just sharing info. There's something of the life and the glory of God that's being imparted everywhere he goes. Because the tabernacle of God is not in a building. The tabernacle of God is in Jesus Christ. He is the tabernacle. He is the picture. So in Jesus, he's bringing back the reality in Genesis 1 that God created the world as a temple for him to dwell. That where the Spirit of God was over the shadow of Jesus, it's like when Jesus gets baptized and the Holy Spirit descends like a what? Like a dove. See the imagery? Holy Spirit brooding over creation. So Jesus is new creation. What was old creation? The world was formless and void and waters covered the face of the deep. So when the Holy Spirit's brooding and Jesus goes into the Jordan and comes back out, it's God reproducing the miracle of creation. It's him saying, I'm going to bring out a place to live that's on dry ground from the chaotic waters. And if you will set your feet there, you'll experience the glory of God. You'll experience the presence of God and you'll experience the Almighty overshadowing your life and being with you and helping you. Man, I'm trying, Miss Kim. I'm trying. I get my best shot this morning. This is what God's intention for the earth was. Now it gets even crazier. So now it quits becoming about a temple and now Jesus is the tabernacle. But then Jesus does something crazy. 
And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And when he sends the Holy Spirit, suddenly you and I become the temple of God. That everywhere we're at, we're tabernacling with people. And we get the chance to stretch our life out over our workplace. And we get the chance to stretch our life out over to different places in the city. And we get a chance to stretch out our life to where under that tent were testimonies that the blood of Jesus has brought us near and that the glory of God is going to come and fill all and all. When Isaiah sees the vision of the seraphim going around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What's the next part? No, that's wrong. That's not Revelation. Isaiah, you ready? The whole earth is filled with his glory. How's God going to fill the earth with his glory? Anybody got a mirror? Hold up a mirror right now. That you are the temple image bearing, present bearing person that he's going to send his glory through the earth, not in some ethereal fog or smoke from incense that would fill a place, but he's sending out people, sent ones to not baptize people. Do you know what Jesus says? Baptize nations. He's got this vision for the earth that is bigger than your little local. I just got to make it right and I just got to stay out of sin and I just, he's saying no don't you understand to what I've called you to I've called you to be my image bearer I've called you to be my tabernacle and everywhere you go if you'll stretch your life out for me I'll fill it with the glory of God he's wanting to fill it the earth with the glory of God So suddenly we step from a place of privilege to responsibility. Because we can settle for a lesser vision that this is the temple and the worship team and the pastor will do all the stuff and then we'll just kind of... But do you know why God gave the five-fold ministry? to equip the saints. But in our day and time, you know what the five-fold ministry does? Entertain the saints. Get them addicted to us where they need us and our egos get stroked and then the world's worse for it. And we build bigger churches but we have no influence in the earth. We're not tabernacling and stepping into the purpose of God that he has for us. And this is what the Lord wants to do. The Lord is wanting to stretch us out as a tent. You're just one big skin tent revival. Yeah, God's got a tent revival coming up. And guess who's the tent? Yeah, yeah, that's why you're getting stretched. You know why you're getting stretched? Because he's trying to stretch your shadow of influence over that which you're under over that which you're part of. 
That's why it's getting so uncomfortable for you. You thought the devil was picking at you. And I want to tell you, God's got a hold of you, and he's stretching you out, preparing you for the big things that he has for you. Man. So there's a story in 1 Kings that Elijah, I think Elijah gets a glimpse of this. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17, it says, After this, the son of the woman who owned the house, got sick. And this is the widow of Zarephath who had already had a miraculous uh, engagement with Elijah. And his illness was so severe that he could no longer breathe. And she asked Elijah, why, prophet, have you come to me to comfort me with my sin or confront me with my sin and kill my son? And he said to her, hand me your son. (laughs) And he took him from her arms and he carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him down on his bed. Then he called out to the Lord, oh Lord my God, Are you also bringing disaster on this widow? I am staying with by killing her son. Verse 21, get this. And he stretched out over the boy three times and called out to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, please let this boy's breath Return to him. Verse 22, the Lord answered Elijah's prayer. The boy's breath returned to him and he lived. Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upper room to the house and handed him to his mother. Elijah then said, see, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a prophet and that the Lord's message really does come through you. Scholars are really divided on why Elijah did what he did because the Bible says that that he had no breath. In the ancient days, they viewed death when you were pronounced dead. It was when you had no more breath. They thought that's when the nefesh or the soul, the breath of God, that was when it was gone. That's when you were dead. So, um, so scholars are divided on this. Um, some scholars believe that there was like this divine ancient CPR going on. <laughs> I'm serious. Like scholars try to work their way through this instead of just saying, Maybe there's a miracle here. <laughs> right? And so they're like, well, divine. But if you think about it, putting all my body weight on someone smaller is probably not the way to resuscitate someone. <laughs> right? And this is also not a model for ministry. Okay? So like, this is getting kind of crazy. But, but there's a reason behind it. And I want to get there with you. It's hard when we see it with 21st century lenses, right? Like, it just doesn't even make sense. So we got to go back to the ancient mind and think how they were thinking. One scholar, whom I really respect, he's 
not a Christ follower, but he's a Hebrew scholar, and uh, he's actually agnostic, but he teaches Hebrew at Harvard, so he makes a living teaching something he don't believe in, but whatever, it's okay, <laughs> okay, and he said, this is one of the Bible's lone cases of maybe a handful to where the Lord is honoring empathetic magic. In other words, in that day, there was uh, things that they might have saw pagans do that they would imitate, but yet call upon the name of the Lord to see the Lord do the thing, okay? So he called it sympathetic magic. But here's what I think is going on. In those days, when you begin to sift through extra biblical literature and how they thought back in this time, it's a very superstitious time, and how they thought the demonic realm worked is that they believed that when a demon was coming near you and they squared up to you, if whatever part of that demon hit the exact corresponding part to you, that part of the demon went into you. So that if like, if his knee lined up with your knee and they bumped, then you're going to have like a demonic kneecap. I don't really know. It's crazy, okay? Uh, if, his, if his face lined up with yours, then like his face would line up with your face and you'd be imparted to with whatever demonic power was in that demon would be in you. And so here's what I think happened because there's not a lot of cases of this in the scripture. There's two. One's Elijah and the other one's his protege, Elisha, where this happens. So here's what I think is happening. I think Elijah looked and said, if the demons can stretch their life out and influence a soul, what would happen if I have God in me and I stretch my life out over another as an influencer, would it transpose into them? And so I think he gets this vision of this stretching out reality of his life that he begins to think, wait a second, what's in me is more powerful than what's out there. So if the devil can do it, I can do it too. If the devil can influence a generation, guess what you can do? You can influence a gen If the devil can make a best-selling music uh, album, guess what you can do? You could make a best-selling music album to influence a generation for good. If the devil can make a movie that grosses $60 million on a weekend, guess what the church could do? They could create a movie. And so, so he's seeing themselves as stretching themselves out. And instead of learning a lesson from the devil, we run from everything the devil's doing and we forfeit the battleground and the world takes the world and we just go, well, that's just the way it's gonna be. No, the world is created as a tabernacle for the presence of God. That the purposes of God is actually to be in the all in all of everything. But when we have little glimpses, we have a little holy huddle and then we break to our houses and seek safety. The devil's out there. Oh. 
This isn't a holy huddle. The only way this is a huddle is when we say break, we go out there and we kick the devil's rear end up and down the streets. And we're a light for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I think God's stretching us to raise the bar. Saying, quit making excuses. I've made so many excuses in my life for not being where I want to be. And you know what the Lord told me? Well, who's in control? Mm. Can I go back to complaining, Lord? <laughs> that felt a lot holier than you correcting me. God is wanting to stretch us. He's wanting us to be stretched because you know that same word for stretched? Do you know what it's used for throughout the scriptures? A measuring line. Specifically, when Ezekiel gets the vision of a new temple. And when it says he measured this place of the new temple and that place of the new temple and that place, same word for stretched out. So I think Elijah got a vision of where things were going in the days to come. And he thought, wait a second. I think I'm filled with God. I think where I stretch myself out, the glory of God might appear. And so he stretched himself out and took a chance over something that was dead and saw it come to life. So that's what we are. You know what you are? You're a walking Coleman tent. You're a walking Coleman tent. Except when you unzip that zipper, the glory of God. And anything that comes into that place, the glory of God. Forgiveness of sin. <laughs> As God's wanting to fill it all and flood his world with glory, he's sending you. Sent ones. <laughs> Sent ones filled with his glory to bring it everywhere you go. And sometimes it's some sticky situations that he puts us in. <laughs> and sometimes your knees are knocking and you don't feel real bold. But it's not how you feel. It's the promises and the goodness of God and what he has done. <laughs> that is the reality of the thing that God wants to do in your life. So let him stretch you. Let him stretch you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That it's time that the church stretches our lives out over that which is dead. And it might take three times. Hey, it might take a hundred times. <laughs> That's okay. Because we are the tent that God's wanting to stretch out. And we are the shadow in which those can be under because God's in us. <laughs> and he's with us. And he's wanting to use just little old us to do great exploits in the earth. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.